Welcome to the California Wealth Warriors podcast with your host, Ray Olmo, the ultimate California contrarian and believer in the salvation of our great state. Fighting in the trenches for our business owners and entrepreneurs, our California Wealth Warrior Project will share our experiences, network, and resources to reveal the California-centric planning strategies and secrets to help you protect, profit, and preserve your wealth so California can become a haven, not a burden. So unpack your bags, pull out your beach chair, and join us as we share insights, real stories, and success cases, and rediscover why California is still the golden state. Welcome to the California Wealth Warrior Podcast with your host, Ray Almo. Ray, it's great to be with you again. I, I always find out something really, really interesting. And as having lived in California, I didn't think anybody could make sounding living in California sound financially sensible, but you seem to be doing that in these podcasts. So I don't know what you've got in store today, but I'll be all ears. Well, it's it's a tough job. Uh, somebody's got to do it. And you know, every now and again, there's these little tidbits that remind you, hey, this this is a pretty cool place. And it, it, it gets me thinking about good old days and reminisce about, you know, how I grew up, uh, how I built my career, the people I've met. We're going to meet one of one of my great friends today. And boy, it would sure be nice if we could get back there. And that is going to be a f- uphill battle. But the battle is, you know, California wealth warriors. That's what we got to fight for. We got to fight for something, right, Bill? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to continue on. Um, we started with, you know, um, first episode, my family's legacy history and um, why I'm, I'm so passionate about this and then um, how that tails into our business and, and why why I love doing what I'm doing. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. This last week I was talking to some people and we didn't have the right tools to to help improve their situation. And it's hard to see that, you know, it'd be like looking at the homeless. What do you do? How, how, how do you fix this? So all you can do is try to source up, you know, what tools you have and share them. And that's what we're doing. So I'm going to share a great uh, relationship today. My friend, uh, good partner, Jeff Verdon. And we're going to learn a lot today. This is raising the bar on the asset protection side of the fence. Um, I'll be a tax, but uh, he is the guru. He is the maestro. Well, so let's introduce our friend, Jeff. Ray, it's good to be here with you. And it's always an honor to share the stage with you wherever it may be. We've done a lot of that, actually. So we've uh, we've known each other. I was trying to figure this out when we you called me on my phone and I was burnt out one day. I was the only guy in the office. My phone rings. And I picked it up, and there's this guy. Jeff introduces me, and he, he was he was all all wired up. It's like, hey, I see you guys do these private retirement plans, and I do these things, and we get it, we get it. And he was just driving so hard. I was just like, yeah, all right. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about this later. <laughs> I think I think I don't know if I hung up on him or I told him yeah, I'll, you were you weren't very nice to me, Ray, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> So um, I get I, that, I, I get that a lot. So. I, I I have to be honest honest with you. Let's let's talk about it. Uh, we were in the infancy. I was actually just trying to segue from the four hundred nine A deferred comp space 
having discovered this in the market crash and was trying to figure it all out when we were approached to do the administration. So I, I frankly wasn't ready. And, and this is a good topic that how Jeff and I met is is in the infancy. And I, I view him as one of my partner pioneers. And we've been through the gauntlet together, hiring people together to try to solve situ- you know, problem situations, designs, that type of stuff. So again, Jeff, it's, it's been a great haul and we become friends. And uh, I was reminded when you, you're down in Napa with your lovely wife, when we got to be friends and I called you and I don't, I don't know why I said this, but he's on the, on the phone. I didn't realize he was on speakerphone. And I said, Hey, pretty boy, what's going on? And on the other side, you hear his wife, Wendy going, pretty boy, who the hell are you talking to? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that, that was mean, it. That was like, you, we're can, friends. So can you blame him? No, no, no. Are you kidding? He's he's like sculpted out of he's Adonis. So at any rate, th- those are some fun well, times. This is, this is a podcast. So yeah, for the record, he can be an Adonis for this podcast. There's no, there's no question about yes, that. Yes, I'm a legend in my own mind, Ray. You know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So same here. So at any rate, it, it, it just just again, you know, I promised my our viewers here, you know, we're not we're not taking this so serious. We're like trying to sell people on these things. It's it's, it's open discussion. We have a lot of fun. People should have fun. And I know that maybe they jump on these things stressing out, but listen, if you, if you can't be lighthearted in trying to solve serious problems and try to try to be, you know, calm and have fun with this, then, you know, it, it, it can be a miserable process. So anyway, any rate, enough said, um, Jeff and I are great friends, do a lot of business together. We're, we're going to start in that uh, circled around and, and I don't, I wouldn't say that, but I, we had some mutual friends and there were some serious players. And I quickly learned that Jeff, Jeff owned the asset protection market down in, in SoCal. Um, there's a, a great, um, highly respected, uh, bankruptcy attorney, Bill Lobel, right? Jeff, our, our buddy, Bill. Yes. I, I I'd love to have him on, on, on the podcast at some point regarding the bankruptcy system in California. That is going to, you know, that is an important dimension. And we kind of step into that by trying not to get there. Right. And, um, you know, so again, you and you and I quickly have, have forged that, you know what, he knows a ton about asset protection and what to do and what not to do. And when we were forging the prior retirement plan, we, we really didn't want this as that creditor evasion side. We wanted this as legitimate pre-planning side. And so I leaned on on Jeff on the legalities, and then he leaned on us on the, the administration side. And then we pulled in some experts like our ERISA attorney, Phil Kohler over at Hall's Benefits Group, right? So at any rate, right. let's talk and open up discussion, Jeff. I'm going to kind of throw some things at you, and I, I'd just like you to grab onto them and, and drive down because where I shared the our audience is that we start with this foundation. And it, 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 as you well know, it's this California private retirement plan. It's kind of this, this secret gold nugget. And it really takes a good bite at the apple of protection planning. And then when we do active planning, it has some favorable tax implications, but it can't solve all problems. And so tell us when when we're working together and you call all us, what, what is your perspective starting with the PRP? And then how do we then integrate and overlay with variant styles of advanced asset protection? And we'll talk about each one of those. Does that sound fair? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. So if, if you go to Verdon Law Group and which 
actually, we need to also talk about that you're with FRB. Can, can you allude to your um, firm right now? And kind of just give us an sure. overview. I, I want to give the viewers a historical perspective in a moment on asset protection, what it is, what it isn't, how I got into the into the area, and what they should know about it. But uh, I have been in my own firm small boutique firm uh, focusing on estate planning for the affluent family and the successful business owner for most of my career. And about a year and a half ago, uh, I found a firm out of New York called Falcon Rappaport & Berkman. They wanted to expand to the West Coast. I wanted to look for a succession plan for my staff and my clients. And we got together, started talking, and it seemed like the right fit. There are about 60 lawyers and about 100 support staff based out of uh, Long Island, New York, with offices in New York City and New Jersey and California and, and Miami. And uh, it, it's been a very good fit because they provide uh, our clients not, not only the estate planning and the asset protection work that we do, but they've got mergers and acquisitions. They have a digital assets group, which is what attracted me, real estate, election law, healthcare. I mean, you name it, they can provide it. So our clients don't have to go to you know five different law firms to get their needs met. Nor do your referring partner attorneys. I mean, before you met FRB, you were kind of the local guy in Orange County that the state planning firm said, "Well, we're not comfortable with this asset protection vein, and we you know we're not going to get into something that we don't understand." And they were outsourcing to you, and and all the FRB does for you is give them a super deep bench right to support their back office. That's right. Right. We yeah. we have a, a we have a litany of old guys like me and gals that have a lot of wisdom, knowledge, and experience, and we got a a lot of really young, smart killers uh, that work in the firm, uh, and we and it's a it's a great collaboration between the experienced older guard and the the youngsters that uh, have all that piss and vinegar, and they want to they want to grow and be better. Well, I, I don't know about that. I met Ruth Kraft and she's got a lot of piss and vinegar in her. Oh, yes, she does. So, R- I, R- I, R- I spoke to Ruth and she's going to get on here just for fun because she is a pistol and God, the history and knowledge and here, you know, her, one of her friends was Ruth Bader Ginsburg and just, it's just great storyboard. So, Again, yeah. a great firm backing you up, but th- that pulls you into the vortex in Cali- Southern California to help with all this damage. That's where the action is. Most of our clients are in SoCal, Orange Ca- County, or in LA. And with that wealth comes a lot of risk. And so, again, you got an awesome firm. So we always appreciate We have weekly Thank meetings you. with uh, with your group and um, you know, try to make sure that we don't lose, lose track of all the opportunities to help people. So Right. Okay. Again, the baseline is is really using the California private retirement plan. But as you well know, we do the metrics and we often tell people this is all we can do. Okay. You're, you're going to claim your rights. Measure, we measure those and we hand that to you on a silver platter. And then you have to integrate and coordinate at a, at a higher level. And that's where we hand that football off to you. And so why don't, again, you talk about like the client dynamic where they certainly need the retirement, but then what are some of the uh, demographics and some of the client structuring that then warrants these other ideas? And then I'll let you run with that. Sure. To understand that process, I, I need to take you back about 35 years or so, uh, almost 40 years to 1985 when I was a young 
estate and trust lawyer. I had just got my master's in tax from Boston University, was focused my practice on estate and trust planning. And I had the opportunity to work for four doctors in the Orange County, Newport Beach area where I practice, uh, who wanted their estate planning done. They came to see me be, and one of the uh, one of the tasks was their office manager was not able to secure uh, what's called tail insurance, insurance that covers you after you retire. They were in their 60s and they wanted to retire in a few years and they couldn't get tail insurance to cover them for more than five years post-retirement. Why? Because these doctors delivered babies for a living and when they delivered their last baby and hung up their stethoscope, they were going to be on the hook legally for malpractice liability until the last baby reached the age of 18, plus the statute of limitations to bring the malpractice suit because the minor can't waive his rights to tort claims. So this would have put these doctors in their early 80s before they were out of the woods legally. And they had accumulated some wealth, and this, this was just abhorrent to them, and they wanted me to find a way to protect their assets in case they got sued. Now, in law school and then in graduate tax school, we never studied the subject. When we did an estate plan for a client, we were focused on passing their legacy on to the next generation with the least amount of taxes and the least amount of administrative hassles. But we never contemplated the fact that there might be a black swan event like a lawsuit that could befall somebody and completely derail those plans. And so when I studied the subject, and frankly, I contacted a lot of my classmates from Boston who practice in New York and Wall Street and asked them what they were doing for their wealthy clients. Basically, there was one strategy we had in those days, particularly estate planners, called the Family Limited Partnership. And by putting assets into a Family Limited Partnership and integrating that with their estate planning, there were some ways that you could protect the assets in case somebody were sued, but they weren't that effective it just kind of slowed the creditor down. But we started with that, and that was the only tool in our toolkit. And after I did this planning for the doctors, I got to thinking about what was my more important role in representing my client. As estate planners, we typically make their kids and grandkids richer. My role was to protect my clients in case they got sued. So we began to integrate estate planning with asset protection, and that was the start of the change in my practice. And, 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 what's and interesting. To, to interject, Jeff, one of the myths out there, and I, I just had this the other day, is that somebody says, oh, I got a trust. I get a revocable living trust. Yeah. Okay. That provides you zero ass protection during your lifetime. And you have to go through that mechanization of explaining it to them. So again, there's sometimes if it's not planned right, estate planning can conflict or asset protection can conflict with estate planning. So this integration is really critical mastering, right? And, and think about it, you know, with all the law firms out there that do estate planning, mostly living trust for their clients, very few of them, even this, these many decades later, very few of them offer asset protection planning as part of their estate planning process. I'm not exactly sure why. It's a complicated area. It integrates a, a whole litany of different topics and subjects in the estate planning process, which you have to be mindful of. There are certain tax implications that have to be considered. So it, it's not it's not an easy topic, but estate planning isn't easy. But you think about it, when you walk out of the office with that living trust binder, that your beautiful red binder your, your lawyer gives you, and you get in your car and you're driving home and you're texting on your phone and you plow through a crosswalk and take out Newport Beach's finest trial lawyer, and you get sued for $25 million for wrongful death, 
that living trust, that beautiful binder that lawyer drafted for you is not going to protect $1 of your assets. And yet from many people don't really know this until it's too late. So as, as my career evolved, I started doing speaking and writing on this subject of asset protection planning. I began to get criticized by my peers in the community that I was engaged in the conspiracy to defraud creditors, the unethical practice of law. When I started getting that kind of criticism, Ray, I knew I was over the target. In fact, it got so bad at one point, I went to the State Bar of California for an, an ethics opinion, which they, which they gave me and concluded that if, if what I was doing didn't violate applicable fraudulent transfer laws and I was not engaged in the unethical practice of law, which, as my kids used to say when they were little, duh, but that's, that's, that's how silly it got. But now, you know, 30, 35 years later, uh, we have a lot of tools in our toolkit. We're much more sophisticated in how we approach this. And really what asset protection means in my world, Ray, is if we do the proper planning now before there's any known, expected, foreseeable creditor claims, and we place the client's assets into these buckets that have certain legal protections, it makes it far more difficult for a plaintiff's lawyer, if they sue you, to get at those assets, to enforce a judgment against those assets. And we know statistically in this country that over 92% of lawsuits that are filed settle. And they settle for one of two reasons, Ray, doubt as to liability or doubt as to collectability. And you might say we're in the doubt as to collectability business. Now, we're not in the business of defrauding creditors. We don't do planning for people who come to us with their hair on fire. But as part of the estate planning process, again, the black swan event that worries us, that keeps us up at night, is that lawsuit that can completely derail their estate plans. Therefore, we encourage them to integrate the asset protection with their estate planning. So let's let's talk about two things that that really tie into you as a pioneer, and, and, and you've watched this. Let's segregate uh, segregate out California in comparison to the rest of the U.S. states in terms of litigation and risk as the fifth largest economy. And then let's talk about the Uniform Voidable Transactions Act, which was originally the Uniform Fraudulent Transfers Act in California. Can you elaborate on those and how that's impacted and also solidified the pre-planning versus post-planning? Sure. W without getting too far into the weeds, uh, those statutes that you, that you just enumerated actually find their genesis in the uh, statute of uh, Elizabeth dating back to 1571. And essentially what, what those statutes provide is that you cannot transfer assets to defraud creditors. And the predecessor to the Voidable Transactions Act that you just referred to used to have the word fraud in it. It was called the Uniform Fraudulent Transfers Act. And the concept of fraud was confusing a lot of judges. And so they were creating a much higher standard for, to, to prove fraud on the part of the creditor. So it made the creditor more difficult on the creditor to be able to bring those actions successfully. By changing the name to the Voidable Transactions Act and making a few tweaks in the law, it's made it much easier for creditors to challenge transfers to uh, structure as a fraudulent transfer. And you know the, the initial analysis that we make with every client is to make sure that before we transfer assets, and this is even true for lawyers that are just doing estate planning. They're transferring assets, say, into an irrevocable dynasty trust. 
you have to make sure that when you make those irrevocable transfers, those gratuitous transfers, that you're not you're not defrauding a creditor. So we we do a deep dive into that. We we try to vet our clients as deeply as possible by we have them sign affidavits of solvency that after the transaction is over, they're going to be solvent. They'll be able to pay their regular bills. That they're not coming to us, you know, with lawsuits and they're trying to move their assets off their balance sheet. So their current litigants can't can't do that. It, we get those those inquiries, but we have to be very mindful that we don't we don't aid and abet in that kind of activity. So on that, what, what happens is, is, you know, if our phone rings and somebody says, I want one of these private retirement plans, I say, what happened? And right, they've got an issue. And our, our best client, ours, is somebody that wasn't thinking about this, but they didn't do pre-planning because they're too busy building their, their monstrosity, their business and their world. And they, they get, I call it getting stung and, and they have a, they have an issue and it, it, it's not a massive issue. And maybe they, they like you said, negotiate out and it's it's a small bite. And maybe, you know, somebody sued, sued them for $3 million, They got out with a $100,000 cost, right? With And they go, wow, that that hurt. And I what if it was $3 million? And then after the dust settles and they don't have these issues, they come back to the table and say, I want that to never happen again. And they were very serious and focused on making sure that they're doing pre-planning. That's usually our best client. But we don't wish that on anybody. But trying, I, I, Bill, did I not warn everybody in the first couple of episodes, don't wait, don't procrastinate. I am warning you because yeah. no, you no, will no, not no. like fairness, the taste. You did. In fairness, yeah. you did. Don't wait till you're in a panic. Don't wait till you're in trouble. It's starting to get, be smart and, and plan ahead and prepare. Yeah. yeah. So we call it the domes, you know, drop the dome over your world, create a safe environment by which to plan and then do all this other planning anyways. So Jeff, yeah, that that's a great history and, and trying to, again, make sure people are clear on not stepping under the landmines of, oh, I better go start moving stuff around. And we, we see them doing things that they think they can do and they, they can't do anything. You know, you're, you're guilty until proven innocent under these, these laws and acts. So now that we're talking about pre-planning, why don't we have you share some of the, the layers of the planning that you do when you're looking at, let's use a small business owner first, and then maybe an entrepreneur, investor, or professional, like a, a physician. So if you can break down some of these styles and what the risks are, and, and what's some of the, the thinking that they need to be doing to do pre-planning. Sure, be happy to. So once we've cleared the decks and we know we can perform the services for our clients because we're not going to be, quote, defrauding known, expected, or present creditor, then what type of planning should we do for this individual? Well, our initial analysis starts with the state exemption laws. Every state, California included, has a litany of laws that they have enacted which protects their citizens against future lawsuit creditor claims. If you live in a state like Florida or Texas and some of the other states, your entire homestead is protected against creditor claims. You could be sued for a billion dollars if you own a waterfront home in, in Fort Lauderdale worth you know $30 million. Your creditors, if it meets the specifications of the homestead, your creditors can't touch it. Texas, the same way. California uh, has a fairly miserly homestead exemption. We just raised it to $600,000 maximum used to be around a hundred thousand dollars but one of the ex ex exemptions from creditors we have in california that no other state in the union has is something called a private retirement plan exemption 
found under California Civil Code of Procedure 704115. And what this statute basically provides is that transfers to a private retirement plan are exempt from creditors currently. They're exempt from creditors while they stay in the plan. And they're also exempt when distributions come out of the plan for retirement. Now, there are only two exceptions that a creditor can invade a plan for child support or for alimony. So when we look at what's the best strategy for our client, we really separate that analysis into two silos, two, two avenues. The wealth that our clients want to transfer out of their estate now, taking full advantage of the generous $13.6 million of exemption that each taxpayer has, either gift tax exemption or estate tax exemption, and those are assets they're not they're not going to need to consume. Those are appreciating assets which they want to move out of their estate now, pay no gift tax in doing so, applying this generous exemption, as I mentioned. And then 20, 30, 40 years net from now, when they die, the value of those assets at that time are not part of their gross estate and therefore are not subject to estate tax. But those are assets that the client are they're not going to be able to access. That's for their kids and grandkids. But if they have the right to access it, then the government's going to tax it. Then we have the assets which the client wants to set aside for their consumption. This could be their cash, their marketable securities, their digital assets like cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and so forth. And then kind of in the middle, you have their retirement plan assets. Now, if you're if an individual has a qualified retirement plan, a 401k, a money purchase plan, a pension plan, those assets are exempt from creditors both under state law and under federal law. But California has this special exception called the private retirement plan exemption. And the private retirement plan exemption exempts assets that are funded into a private retirement plan. And what does a private retirement plan mean? Well, under the statute, private retirement plan is a plan established for retirement, kind of a circular definition. It does not say the plan has to be part of ERISA, the you know Employment Retirement Securities Act of 1974. It doesn't say it has to be a qualified plan. It just says the plan is set up for retirement. So here's where you and Trust CFO provide such a valuable service to lawyers like me who set these up. When we look at the exemption statutes of each state that our clients reside in, one of the best asset protection plans nobody's ever heard of in California is this private retirement plan. You ask 100 lawyers if they've ever heard of a private retirement plan, You know, five of them may have heard of it before. I didn't even know about it until very late in my career. You know, you, if, I, if I may, you know, what's so ironic is, is like Bill Lobel, you know, when we met him, he says, oh yeah, this, this is an awesome tool. The crazy catch 22 is he goes, I see these all the time. And I know I've known about them for 30 years. And, and we're like, well, people don't set them up. And he says, no, because it's too late. They only learn about it in the statute when they're trying to figure out how to go move their stuff around. So yeah, it's just and, crazy. And that's, that that's on their financial advisors and their lawyers. I mean, our our role is to tell our clients about these these tools. Now, whether they choose to avail themselves of it is their, but we're the messenger, and we we need to be better at at doing that. So, when we look at a, a case, uh, if a client already has a four hundred one k or a pension plan of some kind, usually it's not funded with a large enough portion of their wealth to be able to support them when they retire at 65 or whenever that retirement date is. So we encourage them to supplement that retirement with the establishment of a private retirement plan, which 
it enables them to put additional contributions away for retirement when they ultimately retire to supplement what their what their qualified plans are going to do and what you come up with if i may sorry to cut you off my friend but yesterday at five o'clock because they work hard i was on the phone with a husband and wife both physicians one of them was a w-2 employee making a million one and i said how come you only have four hundred thousand dollars in your qualified plan they only let me put young guy they only let me put twenty thousand per year into that that's the discussion point. You've got these limits. And then I said, so in a vacuum, that's why you have 2 million on your exposed balance sheet, because the 2 million represents what you could have saved for retirement. Unfortunately, it's now on your exposed balance sheet. That's your private retirement. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So when what Trust CFO and what you have come up with is this beautiful software package where you can go online, you can punch in some financial data, and then you can determine, because there has to bear some relationship between how much you fund into the plan and how much you, you're able to take out based upon your current earnings and other factors. You know, if you're making $100,000 a year, but you have a $10 million asset that you want to protect, you just can't shove a $10 million asset into a private retirement plan when you're making $100,000 a year, because there just isn't a rational relationship between the amount of potential income you can earn and how much the value of the asset is. And, and your software helps guys like us make those re- determinations so we have a range of contributions based upon what they're currently earning and what they expect to earn in the future, factoring in appreciation and, and other factors. Now, when I've studied the, the private retirement area and the other professionals who offer these services, you're the only firm, the only... Uh, third-party plan administrator that I'm aware of that actually does these calculations. And and if these plans are ever attacked by a creditor, one of the fundamental things that are going to be asked of the parties, the defendant, the debtor, is how did you come up with the contribution levels that you made to the plan? There has to bear some relationship between their contribution to your plan and what you expect to take out at retirement. And without that analytics, I think it's going to be very difficult for that debtor to sustain a motion for summary judgment based upon the creditor's attack on that plan. Conversely, if you have the analytics and you present that to the potential creditor seeking to invade or, do, or undermine the plan, I think that's going to go a long way to having them cancel out any plans to try to attack and and, and discredit that plan. So with, kudos with, to you, Ray. Yeah, with the caveat that, again, we never try to stretch and overfund, um, you know me, we have no incentive. We're flat fee. We have no incentive to try to put more money into a plan and create more risk. So we, you, you give us the instruction of what is the safety zone and tell us what the magic numbers are. We hand that to you on a silver platter. And then your job is it doesn't solve all problems. You know, retirement solves a, a nice bite at the apple, but we're not done yet. That's where, again, you're on here to share what do we do next with these other tools? Now, the, the adult conversation we have to have with our, our clients is the following. When they fund their private retirement plan with assets, whether it's cash, whether it's promissory notes securing their residence for what we call equity stripping, whether it's partnership interest in real estate and other, uh, even, even, even part of their business holdings, they have to understand those assets need to remain in that private retirement plan until they retire. They can't be expecting to pull that out you know, before retirement because they happen to need cash. So therefore, 
um, we want to distinguish between assets that are going to be used for investment and those assets which are going to be used for consumption. If they, in your example, for example, they have about $2 million in liquid assets. If they're going to need some of those liquid assets for their kids' education, for uh, living expenses, whatever it may, for rainy day, we won't put those into all of that into a private retirement plan. We'll look at some other vehicle like an asset protection trust where we could set aside those funds and only they will have access to them, not their potential creditors. And so you have to make that balancing determination between what's going to be used for consumption and what's going to be used for retirement. Yeah, perfect. So that let's segue on that. So you just said that we basically need to find out what the needs are, what the wants are, create these corridors, get them aligned, and then solve for that particular corridor. Talk about asset protection trust. You said asset protection trust. Give us what is to the to the layman, what does that mean? What is the spectrum? Well, an asset protection trust, or what used to be known as a self-settled spendthrift trust, is a trust that somebody sets up where they're both the grantor and they're a beneficiary. Now, in 30 of the 50 states, you cannot set up a trust, an irrevocable trust, in which you are both the grantor, the creator, and a beneficiary, California being one of those states that does not recognize self-settled trusts. Right. In 1997, Alaska adopted the first asset protection trust or self-settled trust legislation in which Alaska said that its citizens, its residents can set up a trust and be both the grantor or the creator of the trust as well as a beneficiary. And they did this in response to the offshore asset protection trust industry, which was stealing a lot of business from many of the states around the United States because those countries like the Cook Islands and Nevis and Bahamas and other countries had laws that allowed you to set up a trust in their country and be a beneficiary of that trust and still have those assets protected from creditors. And so Alaska was the first one in 1999, then Nevada came aboard and they enacted their statute. Uh, and now there are around 20 states in the United States that have adopted some form of asset protection trust law. And so clients that are wanting to protect their liquid assets would form either a foreign asset protection trust or a domestic asset protection trust. And if you have time, we can go into the relative differences and benefits and so forth of, of each, where they can take their liquid assets, stocks, bonds, marketable securities, digital assets like crypto and, and Bitcoin, and drop them into this special trust and those assets are available for the beneficiaries of the trust, but no one else. And that's that was the genesis of how the, the asset protection trust industry got started. Well, let me ask you a question. So I, I know the dynamic of private retirement plans. They have the limit that you can't get them as they're accruing. It's for the distribution and or the death benefit to the heirs. When you go to the asset protection trust realm, okay, is it based on a schedule of funding? Or can you just say, I want access? And when you do distribute back to yourself, is it exposed? So are you turning on a spigot on and off where if the wolves are at bay, you don't touch anything, but if the seas are calm, you go ahead and you can utilize some of those funds to do whatever, grow or, or use for personal needs. Is that correct? Well, that, that's theoretically uh, an asset protection, domestic asset protection trust, theoretically, theoretically works the following way. You set up the trust in a state like Nevada. You have a local trust company uh, domiciled in that state. 
and you have assets in the trust which are domiciled in that state. So there's a nexus between the assets and the trust. And if you get sued, but subsequently, and there's no current pending threatened creditors, you're not expecting anything, you're not doing this to protect your assets against one of these known uh, or, or foreseeable creditors. And let's say five years later, you get sued, but the assets that you funded into the trust are held by the trustee, not by you. That theoretically, that creditor is no, no longer has the legal right, absent a fraudulent transfer, to be able to penetrate that trust and reach those assets. That's the way it's supposed to work. But the problem is, in this country, we have, you know, I'll take you back to your, your 12th grade government class, we have something called federalism. So the federal government has retained certain specific powers over the states, and every other power is then delegated to the states. Well, there are certain kinds of federal claims that can arise against someone like taxes or bankruptcy or other types of federal claims that will trump state law, that will supersede state law. So if you set up a trust in the state of Nevada and you get sued by the federal government over a federal violation, query, can the federal government supersede the state law and go in and reach those assets? And the answer is yes, they can. So there are certain kinds of exception creditors for which these domestic asset protection trusts will not protect assets. Government obligations now, you know, being one. Yes. So you may say, Paying well, taxes. you know, I, I, I don't expect I'm ever going to go bankrupt. Well, you know what? A lot of people believe that. And then, you know, they get two or three creditors together and they, they, they put the, the debtor into an involuntary bankruptcy. You don't know what the future holds. And unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't practice law that way. So for my clients who have enough money to matter, we want them to have the most protective asset protection trust structure on the planet. And that happens to be a foreign asset protection trust. Why? Because if I set up a trust, for example, in the Cook Islands, and I drop $5 million into the trust so that nobody but the beneficiaries can reach that trust at a time when they can legally do that, and five years later, there's a lawsuit, a federal bankruptcy claim, or whatever it may be, but that claim didn't what didn't exist at the time we set the trust up, the country, the Cook Islands, will not recognize a judgment coming from a foreign jurisdiction to enforce against the trust assets. They just won't do it. And they don't care whether it's a federal claim or a state claim or whatever kind of claim it may be. They just don't recognize that. And so the, Fed, the Foreign Asset Protection Trust provides much more certainty to a particular result that our clients are seeking to achieve than what you might find under the state rules. Now, my friend Steve Oceans, who's a very famous asset protection lawyer from the state of Nevada, will tell you he's never had a domestic asset protection trust invaded or busted the creditor settle. Well, that may be the case, but maybe he just hasn't had the right claim come yet. In my case, and I, you know, I have the greatest respect for Steve, and he's really done a great job in promoting, you know, our industry the right way. He's a very smart lawyer. But he lives in Nevada, he practices in Nevada, and he recommends Nevada Asset Protection Trusts. I am a little bit more agnostic. I happen to look at both sets of laws and the circumstances that can arise. And again, if my client has enough liquid assets to matter, uh, I'm going to recommend the Foreign Asset Protection Trust over domestic wealth. Now, many people might say, well, what about the IRS? Aren't, aren't they going to audit me and put me in jail if I have a Foreign Asset Protection Trust? And the answer is no. The IRS wouldn't print all the forms that people who have international transactions that have to fill these forms out and, and, and file them with the Department of Treasury if going offshore were illegal. You just have to tell the IRS you have 
a foreign trust. You have to file two or three forms each year. Your accountant will do this for you and you're completely compliant. The IRS is not the kind of creditor our clients are looking to protect their assets against or looking to protect them against other unknown creditors, either federal or state that might might arise in the future. So the asset protection trust is a very integral part of the type of trust that we form in our firm. But that's, again, primarily for people who have liquid assets, and those assets are going to be there for them to consume, and nobody else can reach them. The appreciating assets of the client may have real estate, uh, business interests, whatever those assets may be. Those are likely going to be earmarked for an irrevocable dynasty trust, which can be set aside and grow outside the client's estate. So when they die, there's no death taxes. Okay. So in in summary, what I heard is there's three or excuse me, four silos that again, if properly evaluated, measured and integrated and coordinated by an advisor that you can have your cake and eat it too. Okay. It just depends on how much of what asset and earnings from those assets is in those. So you can do a California private retirement plan and we're both California centric. Most of our businesses in California for Californians you can look at a domestic asset protection trust in another state, Nevada being an example of one. Uh, one of our favorite trust companies is Crawford Trust Company. I'm going to have Greg on soon. Then you have offshore planning, which I've I've heard you use multiple times, a belts and suspenders or a double hole tanker you know, philosophy and strength. And then estate planning, which is the, you know, using the exemption, the, the, the lifetime exemption to get it out of your state and growth. And again, it's just aligning and matching up the construct of the, the client, okay, in terms of their balance sheet and income statement to the design, the global design. Does that make sense in summary? It, it is. And, and when someone re- retains our law firm to ha- help them with this planning, the first thing we do is we prepare what's called a roadmap or a planning memo before we start drafting any documents. It's an, it's like building a house. You wouldn't you wouldn't hire the general contractor until you've paid an architect to design the house for you. It's important our clients understand when the when the planning is in place what their plan life is going to look like and we we do that by illustrating it through these deliverables. Once the client and their advisors understand what we're recommending and they've signed off on it, that's when we start actually drafting documents and, and, and funding their trusts. So as you say, the private retirement plan has a very important place in the client's planning. But remember, they have to meet certain criteria in order to be able to qualify for a private retirement plan. And one of those criteria is they have to have an employer. And it can only be a single, one of the biggest mistakes you and I have identified with the help of our very good friend, Phil Kohler, is you can only have a single employee private retirement plan for a business if multiple partners want to form their own private retirement plans to protect their assets. The employer sponsors the plan, but the minute you have more than one employee who's part of that private retirement plan, now it falls under the ERISA rules and it completely changes the whole dynamic, which does not make a private retirement plan very practical. No, so that's that's fraught, that's fraught with a lot of damage jumping into that ERISA ring. So yeah, you, like you, very you, few people who who practice in this arena understand that, and you you were very keen to to identify that in your work with Phil Kohler. Yeah, so this makes sense, but then let's attend to the fear factors that somebody might have, because as you well know, and I get this even in the private retirement plan, is control. 
a, a guy that's or a woman that's built their business. They've always controlled things that invest in real estate and they're good at it. Our clients are awesome at building wealth. They're just horrible at protecting it. That's our job. So one of the mantras we have is we don't disrupt our clients' ability to, to build their empire. Okay. And, and that's a trick in of itself, Jeff. And you know, you and I are very keen on that. And that comes with planning and integrated design. But we need to tend to the fear factor of, oh, I'm giving up control, I'm losing control. And and because they just don't know what the planning entails and the depth of that to be able to empower them. Okay. Let them continue on but do it within the constraints of legitimizing these protection plans. Is that right? Exactly. And, you know, part of our job as their legal advisor is to, is to let them know if they're not suitable or suited for the particular strategy, they shouldn't do it. Let me give you an example. Uh, when we set up a foreign asset protection trust or even a domestic asset protection trust, the client cannot be the trustee. In fact, the, the, the less activity the client has with the trust, the better the optics are for a particular, if, if they're standing in front of a judge. And there's been a number of cases over the years in which people have gone to jail for contempt of court because they, they were get granted too much power over their, their trusts only to then relinquish the power when they were facing, the, you know, staring down the, the barrel of a gun in the form of a lawsuit and then tried to claim that they really didn't have the power to do anything. We, we build a number of checks and balances into all of our planning because we're aware that while the client can't control the checkbook, there are other ways in which you know we can have the appropriate gatekeepers to make sure that their assets are safe. But they have to be willing to give up the checkbook. Otherwise, or not this, this kind of planning will not work. And so it's not for everybody, Ray. Uh, it's, it's for the sophisticated individual who understands that there are professionals out there whose job it is is to serve these functions to service the industries that we that we plan in and if the client's not willing to do that if the client is a control freak and has to have you know their hands on the steering wheel all the time it's probably not going to work for them well i i akin this to a the president of a company who is is dictating the direction of the company and instructing the path and and, and how to but they they have their CFO managing the banking and writing the checks and doing that. Okay, so it's not too different than an hierarchy that you might find in a business that you pre-design in a trust. It's a business, to be very frank with you. That's what family offices are about. Again, trust CFO. We act as a CFO for trust because we know what the path is, or the client has dictated what the path is, and the trust is the rulebook by which to drive that goal. But again, there, there, there's just this weird myth of I'm giving up my well, assets mo forever. But most most successful first-generation business folks, uh, male and female, are uh, you know are narcissists, and they they you know they want to have their their hands on the wheel all the time. And like you say, you have to explain to them that in your business you delegate duties and responsibilities to others. You'll do the same thing when these structures are in place. And, you know, part of the reason for doing the planning memo is to explain to them what their life is going to be like after they implement the structure before they do it. And that way they can determine, you know, whether they want to proceed or not. Most people have the perception that things are going to be difficult or, or, or troublesome. But once they, you know, actually test drive the vehicle for a number of months, they realize that it's just same as when they had their business. Yeah. Yeah. So again, our job is to help educate and provide some due diligence and some, and frankly, I usually get this when we're doing references or testimonials 
from both advisors, the advisor side and the client side. I, a client that called us directly, very gun shy, and I don't have no incentive to push him to do anything. And I said, you know, yeah, you're not ready. Um, and he says, well, I'd like to talk to some clients. And so I referred him to, I don't know, four or five people. And this is uh, pre the holiday. And after the holiday, gave me a call and said, hey, I, I spoke to your testimonials. And I knew he had. I didn't get a report back of what the conversation entailed. And the guy says, I, I want to tell you something. I said, he says, your clients love you. And I said, oh, that's good to hear. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. They love you. <laughs> I, I go, well, did you think I was going to refer you to somebody who didn't like me? Right. So, <laughs> but the point is he did the due diligence. He got some examples and some situations and asked the right questions. And, and now that you can safely get into bed together. Back to you, my friend. We have to talk about a whole new, we're pioneering a whole new industry. Okay. You know, you and I have always been heavy into, we have a client with hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate, but, you know, business stock, private equity. But now we need to talk about the new world. So you've been enlightening me and I've been waiting desperately to hear about cryptocurrency. Okay. Because we've been talking about this for years and we really had not gotten to the point of, yeah, we're, we're comfortable doing this. So can you elaborate on what our 2024 game plan going forward is for this realm? I'd be happy to. Uh, and you know, there are, there are two words that will not engender a greater visceral reaction with people than Trump and Bitcoin. <laughs> you mentioned those two words to people and they definitely have their opinions uh, one way or another. So he here's the reality. Uh, and I don't know if you've been following um, the price of Bitcoin in the last 30 days or so, but about three weeks ago, the SEC approved 11 Bitcoin, spot Bitcoin ETFs, an ETF exchange traded fund. So before, before three weeks ago, if you wanted to own Bitcoin, you had to buy, you, you had to go on an exchange, put your money in the exchange. You had to get a, they, they would buy the Bitcoin for you. You put, let's say a thousand dollars in and you get a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. And then you didn't want to leave it on the exchange. You want, you had to transfer it. You should transfer it to what's called a cold wallet. And that way, if the exchange went under like FTX, you know, that fraudulent deal that happened a couple of years ago. Freed. Uh, with yeah. Sam, Sam Baker Freed. Uh, well, so you, you didn't want to leave your money on an exchange. You put it. So it was complicated to own Bitcoin if you wanted to own Bitcoin and it, you had to go through a lot of steps. And so and, and investment advisors particularly were not allowed to put their clients' money into Bitcoin, and they didn't have the, the facilities to do that. Well, with the ETF, if you want to own Bitcoin, you simply send your money into Fidelity or BlackRock, the biggest money manager in the world. You put you want to buy $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, you open an account, you put $100,000 in the account, and they'll go out and they'll buy you, the, the account will, will allocate $100,000 of Bitcoin to you. And as a result, there's now an on-ramp for investment managers to have to get their clients into the Bitcoin space. Well, there's about $400 trillion of investable assets out there in the world. And it figures if just one or 2% of everybody's portfolio, if for no other reason, because of FOMO, a fear of missing out gets allocated into these ETFs, the, and there's only 21 million Bitcoin, just the scarcity alone is going to drive the price up. And that's what's happening. Bitcoin yesterday surpassed $50,000 of Bitcoin, which the press and, and, and business press are all over. So there are many, many, many people who have invested in Bitcoin either back when it was just a nascent asset class and those that have come in lately 
But those assets, and there, and there's about four. I think there's. I read somewhere there's about 400 million people around the world that have that are on blockchain, the platform that that registers Bitcoin owners. It's a very transparent vehicle. To you don't know who they are, but you can see who you can see the quantity of, of who owns of what owns Bitcoin. Well, this asset class is because it's beginning to appreciate has a significant amount of wealth that's sitting outside of any asset protection structure, any estate planning structure. So when we meet with clients, we, we want to know, do you own any digital assets, either Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies? And if you do, how, let's look at a plan to protect those assets. And uh, the private retirement plan for the California cryptocurrency or digital asset owner can be extremely in, invaluable because they can take their Bitcoin if they meet the criterion or they can take their cryptocurrencies and they can fund it into their private retirement plan by either the ETF or by setting up their own wallet. And once they're in the plan, Ray, of course, as you know, those assets are protected from future lawsuits. So it's an, it's imperative that as we expand our our reach into the into the business and, and client community, that we identify if they have these digital assets, which more and more people are going to be buying and getting into, particularly since Bitcoin is is going up so so much so fast. And that has to be an integral part of the planning that we do for our clients going forward. Yeah. And, and you know, again, focusing on California, it, it it's a bulk segment, just just like the, the tech sector is driven it in California, you know, where again, as Californians, we're pioneering these, these asset building tools. Okay. So we're going to wrap up here, Jeff, before we uh, make sure that people can reach you and give, give your contact information um, so they can get great support and advice and their education. What advice do you have for Californians in general? We're the California wealth warriors and we're trying to help these Californians. What would you, con what type of conclusion or mission statement would you offer? That's a great question. If you have a good lawyer, and I'm sure most of your viewers do, and your lawyer has not discussed with you asset protection planning, I would suggest you go to my website, www.frblaw.com or www.jmvlaw.com. I, I believe our old website is still up. And you can pull down what we have created, which is called a lawsuit exposure and stress test. And take that test on our website. And if you score on the rather high end of the answer key, you should be talking to an asset protection lawyer. If your lawyer doesn't do asset protection planning, ask him to refer you to somebody who does. And if he doesn't know anybody, then give me a call. And I'd be happy to sit down with you and, and talk about how we can upgrade your planning from what I call business class to first class. Because our, our clients that do the estate planning with asset protection, they really have done the, ult the penultimate planning in case something were to happen, that black swan event that I keep referring to. And believe me, it does happen. You've seen it. I have seen it. And, it, and they're, they're, they're pouring lawyers out of law schools left and right. And uh, the amount of, they haven't even come up with the kinds of tort claims that the future will hold. So even though you may not feel you're at risk now, you know, in just a year or two or three, the, the states pass these these laws that then expose individuals to, uh, to significant uh, liability. So asset protection, should yeah. be very much in the mind of your lawyers and your financial advisors. And and again, as I promised our listeners, um, you know, as as kind of the spearhead moderator here is these are tools that are not readily available with the general populace of advisors out there. They don't even get discussed. And so 
if you're building anything of value, business or other, and and you're not doing your pre-planning and your advisors are not getting you there, you need to know what the risk is, okay? And you need to really investigate the planning. You are what I call the resource ultimately in the asset protection space. So Jeff, I appreciate it. We're going to have many more conversations here and uh, drill down on some other specific things. But from a general overview of asset protection and how it applies to not just Californians, we we have a need more than anybody is, is the number one judicial hellhole in the globe, okay, as a fifth largest economy, but anybody basically, okay? So um, there are no limits to you and your firm, of course. Bill, that is having one of my good friends on for today. And then I'll spin off some to some other important conversations, but I think that was a great first part of, of the beginning of our series, our long series that we'll be having here this year. No, that was a fascinating conversation. And, and thanks for bringing Jeff in. B- B- Bill's going to call you, Jeff, about all his crypt coin that he has offshore. <laughs> okay. I might have more than you think I do. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right, you, you you can post my contact information, Bill, when you do yeah, the final. Yeah, no, no, cut it's great. Thanks, thanks, Jeff. It'll be in the show notes, as a matter of fact. So, so okay, great. Can, thanks, Ray, for the opportunity. Enjoyed it very much. You bet. Enjoy Napa. Sell when you Thanks, Bill. Nice to meet you guys. Bye-bye. Nice to meet you as well. And before we get out of here, Ray, how do people get a hold of you? I know your information will be in the show notes, but how do we get a hold of you? Well, of course, there's trustcfo.com or trust-cfo.com. With or without the hyphen, hyphen, you can get to our webpage. And uh, it's, it's educational-based, we've always said. The numbers are contact numbers on there, et cetera. But now with the podcast, California Wealth Warriors, um, we just saw that there uh, yesterday uh, it is being launched. And I saw it on um, LinkedIn. And so it's going to start hitting all the social media here in this next week. And uh, we already have, what do we have? Uh, three or four episodes already. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I've got about four more lined up. So again, we're, we're stacking up the beginning of the year and then we'll we'll be riding the wave smoothly thereafter. I've got a long list of Jeff Verdons that have various specialties. And again, the word I just use most is resources. Jeff is a phenomenal resource. I, I've asked him some crazy questions that I go, gosh, I wonder how that would work. Call him and immediately you know, here's, here's what could happen, how it would happen. And here's what can be done. Yeah. What I I find fascinating about this conversation is that, you know, I lived in California at one point and I, over the years have known a number of people, quite successful people who live in California. And I always ask them, why do you stay? And, you know, and they're, and they're like, well, it's really beautiful. We really love it here. I really like it here. And, and the good news about what you're doing is, you know, Ray, you're, you're, you're making it make financial sense. You're bringing a little financial rationality into the conversation, which I'm sure the listeners really appreciate. And in fact, if you are listening to this podcast and you are not already a subscriber, hit the button. Just hit subscribe. That makes it easy. That way you don't ever forget when you heard it or where you heard it. Every time Ray comes out with a new edition, you'll be notified of it and you'll hear all about it. And then we also ask that if you like it, you find it valuable, tell people about it. Spread the word about the podcast. Get it out there. Race here. He wants to help. So let, you know, bring him we, in to the fold. We need to, we need to get this viral and have everybody that has 
every Californian has rights and they just need to know about them. We've said Absolutely. that time and time again. We'll continue to to beat that horse to death. Thank you so much, Bill. We're going to see you in a couple of days with another right. fantastic guest. Fantastic. Thank you so much. On behalf of Ray, I'm Bill Tucker urging you to go out today and not wait. Make today a great day. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the California Wealth Warriors, fighting for you as a productive resident of our golden state. We thank you for your time and trust. Click that follow button right away so you don't miss out on our future episodes loaded with valuable insights and gold nuggets. For more personalized guidance and expert tools, visit our website at trust-cfo.com or contact us at 800 800- 730-3020. Remember, your wealth deserves California's best protection. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of CWW or Trust CFO. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for legal, tax, or investment advice. Always seek a professional advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your financial or investment planning.